So welcome back to another episode of the Jim's Group podcast, which is called the Jim's Cast, and I'm here with Jim, and we're on a Monday morning in uh, sunny Melbourne today after a weekend of hail on the farm, didn't you, Jim? Just tell me before off camera that you had a bit of hail up on there. You got hail on a few times, and yeah, I go out when it's not raining too much and do some farm work, and then if it gets really downpour, it starts to hail again inside and sit in front of my nice, um, nice stove, freestanding. Mm. What do you call it? A wood stove. Yeah, and you've got a so you're quite actively on the farm, aren't you? Most weekends you're away there, and you get out there, and you, that's a lot of where your thinking time about your business is actually done, and actually doing some work and doing some vegetables and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, yeah. I just, I just last weekend I, I, I dug up my, um, put all the potatoes in, planted in my giant potato patch, and uh, I planted string beans, beans, and um, what do you call it? Uh, other other kinds of green manure between the rows, and also spread aged manure of another big patch I've just dug up. So it was just great fun. And then I was cutting down bracken and, and weeds and things. I do about four or five hours a day at the weekend. And you eat all your produce as well, don't you? All your produce you make, like with the... Uh, you, you, but you can't eat all of it. It's too much. I mean, we couldn't eat all that many potatoes. We, don't <laughs> do, we do, get tons of it. We, we sell it, actually. You actually sell it? Mm. Okay, there you go. All right, so let's. Uh, we've had actually had a... Um, a few topics which we've done in the podcast before, but they were actually ones that Jim and I put down. But we've actually had our first ever listener question in. So this is from Andre Barber, and we thank you for this one, Andre. And it's about education. And the question was this to Jim. Was, what's Jim's take on the current education system and its suitability for the future? There is an increasing number of Gen Zs who are choosing alternative pathways to university as they find the value it provides is not aligned with their future needs. Does Jim see a need to reform in the system and does he himself hire based on a piece of paper? Well, I don't hire based on a piece of paper. It's the last thing I look for. In fact, when I'm looking at somebody, I, I, would, I would look for character, first of all. Anything indicates character, including extracurricular activities. Um, I would look for experience. And frankly, I pretty well ignore qualifications. I don't even know what my staff are qualified as. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. I, I think bits of paper are complete rubbish and meaningless. Um, yes, there's there's real problems with the way we look at education. There's this whole push that everybody has to go to university. And university itself doesn't teach you a great deal about almost anything. Even if you want to be a lawyer, it, it doesn't. It, it just teaches you the base of how to learn to be a lawyer. It doesn't. It, it's so ineffectual as a way of preparing people for life. This is coming from you, who's who is an academic, or you know, you have a PhD, so you're someone who's been quite involved in the. In the system, I look. I've been through the whole process, and I don't regret that because I followed a particular line of scientific inquiry, which I think is important, and I think could be important to the world. But an arts degree, I think, is, is, is an incredible waste of time. And I think what's the problem too is that they're so heavily subsidised by the government, um, and and yet apprenticeships, which is basically dealing with people who aren't quite so academic, are, are, are massively underfunded. It, it's like there's some sort of government policy that says. Well, you know, we can do without plumbers and electricians, but you never have too many art historians. Mm. I mean, that's a lunatic idea, the, the, the practical trades. And I think there should be a lot, lot more money put into trade qualifications and basic qualifications. And actually, that system should be modified too, to accept that it's crazy, for example, if you want to do roof plumbing, which is just basically sheets of iron, you have to do a four-year mm. apprenticeship course. So a system of education that allowed people to actually learn to do those sorts of things a lot more quickly and just be assessed. A good example of that is that we teach people to build fences. And fencing is a fantastic business. It's very lucrative. There's masses and masses of work to be done. So you can make a great living. We teach a person eight weeks 
from scratch and they're good fences. Now, why can't we apply that sort of model? Basic trade training, subsidised by the government, subsidised employers to take on trainees and put some effort into that instead of more and more useless courses. And the more people are doing these courses, it's, it's, it's not as though they're actually doing anything. It's just that, well, you've been at university for three or four years, you can't be a complete null. Mm. I think in terms of what they learn, it's, it's mostly pretty useless. Yeah, and I think it's only set for one type of learner. You know, you've got to be someone who's able to sit there and read a m- m- bunch of material and take the, and then go and do your own, be responsible for yourself as a learner. And that's one type of person. We obviously know many different people learning different various different ways. And this is something in training we're actually going to look at doing because most of the people who come to training are probably more the hands-on probably type of people as opposed to someone who can sit there and, and read a workbook and then basically be assessed based on that. Well, you'd be surprised how many people have university degrees who come and learn to be lawnmowers and and fences and the rest of it, mm. and, and, and actually do pretty well. But there's this whole notion that there's this there's this spread between the the educated elite and and the and the unskilled people who are going to work at you know 18 bucks an hour at McDonald's. It's completely ridiculous. There's this whole area of the trades and and services such as we offer at gyms, which where there's incredible demand, and actually the income is pretty good. Um, a, a typical gyms buying franchisee or fencing or anything like. You're going to make a hundred grand or so a year. I mean, that's a decent sort of living. You can support a family. Mm. It's good because you can split income. If your wife wants to stay home and look after kids and this kind of thing, so there's 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 great opportunities in in the area of manual work. And I think there's the big problem is there's this prejudice against working with your hands. I'm actually I'm actually quite proud of the fact that my hands are callous because of my <laughs> farm work. Yeah. I like to work physically, and I'm proud of the fact that I mowed lawns for 15 years mm. and I did a good job. And and I. And I think it's good for your healthy. It's good for your spirit too. I think I think this contempt for manual labour is, it's actually pretty characteristic of decadent civilizations. People just want to get away from doing real work and get into just, you know, mind stuff. Well, why do you think that narrative is then pushed so hard by everyone? By people's parents, obviously that narrative. Obviously, in certain certain cultures, it's basically you must get a ninety nine in your VC or you're a failure, and you must go to uni and be a doctor or a lawyer, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that narrative is so entrenched in people? I think it's just a it's just a general snobbery. It's the same thing. It's it's very bad in places like Saudi Arabia, for example. They're trying to get businesses going and industries going, but everybody wants to work for the government in a desk job, and mm. so they have these massive bureaucracies that that just do nothing but hold economic welfare back. It's it's a curse education at that level. Now, there's a big difference. Certain kinds of education, like scientific education, is incredibly useful and you do need good training to that or to be an engineer for example especially in the days when you know, engineering is a lot more scientific but if you look at times in the past when people really wealth really grew it, it wasn't educated people at universities in fact go back to england in the late 18th early 19th century which is which transformed the world with the industrial revolution now the, the, that didn't come out of cambridge or oxford those people there were completely irrelevant it was people who were who were literate but who were but engineers and t- tinkerers and, 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 you know, at a later stage, people like um, Edison or Ford or those kinds of, of great leaders. They just they learnt by doing, mm. and they learnt by doing in a practical way. And I think we need more people who, is, who are not afraid to get their hands dirty and they're not afraid to just, just, just work hard and, and, and not think that you have to be doing some snobby managerial type job. Mm. There's a wonderful book called, which I referred to before, called The Millionaire Next Door. And it points out the typical American millionaire is not a techie or a manager or a corporate executive. He's actually someone like me. He's somebody who does basic cleaning, janitorial, building, whatever services, 
and grows that business and becomes successful at it. That, that is a golden route and we should be focusing much more on that kind of thing in our education system and getting away from this. Everybody has to go to university and do an arts degree, which well, is just insane. Well, obviously university is now a big business. You obviously can tell by their marketing, they obviously put up, they have good advertising campaigns for a lot of stuff and it's a, it's a, it is a business. It's our, what is our second biggest export or whatever it is. Yeah. So, because for me, you're right in what you said, but the, the services industries, I don't see there'd be much of a push from the government all to really promote it, promote apprenticeships, to promote this sort of no. this stuff. And for me, it seems to be almost a marketing problem where the government actually doesn't even want to push it because of the money that's involved well, with you, the university You talk side. to employers about apprenticeship and they say basically because of all the costs and the limitations and the study time and stuff, it's, it's a losing proposition. I do it because, you know, I believe in the industry. So the fact that the government gives stuff all in terms of support is it just holds us back so badly. Mm. And, and my um, the senior pastor at my church actually is a, he's a great guy actually, and he dropped out of school at fourteen and um, became an apprentice. And in his twenties, he was offered you know to manage a factory and stuff. He's just an, and now he's running this, this huge in effect business, which is to do with church, school, everything else. He's, he just wasn't academic, but he's he's, he's a great guy. He's, he's got great initiative. He's got great people skills. He's, he's, there's a lot of people out there who are just simply getting buried by the fact that they, they have this, this need for pieces of paper, education. You know, even, even learning white-collar skills, there's a really big question of whether university is the best place. And a good example of it is Brendan Hill. Now, this is a, this is a kid who, who was a sort of a part-time programmer. He used it as, as a fun. At the age of 14 years and nine months, the earliest age he was allowed to, he came to work for me full-time as a programmer. And he was a great programmer. And actually, I made him head of the programming department. I mean, he was 16, 17 years old, and he was running the thing. Um, he's now got, you know, masters and all kinds of stuff. That He's got a great career. But this, this is somebody who never actually finished high school. And he's actually one of the best educated people you could imagine. Mm. So... I, I would think that apprenticeships would go a lot further. I would, I would love to be in a situation where you could take some of these bright kids at the age of 13, 12 even, and put them to work on real jobs and have them learn on the job. And, and you'd end up with a, a vastly better, more accomplished workforce than wait till a person to go through all these years and years of paper study and stuff and then end up with some degree. Mm. The best time to learn a skill is quite young. We, we delay it too long. People are most creative in their, like in their early 20s. Look at the great scientists like Newton and so forth. Most of their great discoveries were made when they were very, very young. It's, it's a mistake. I think our education system actually is holding us back. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's got a big perception problem. I know when I was in school, which wasn't that long ago, but um, we had a program called VCAL, whereas the kids who weren't considered as bright or they were going to go do an apprenticeship or drop out of school early, they were put into VCAL. And there was a stigma attached to them, oh, you're a dumb kid. You go do VCAL. You know, a lot of these people are now. Some of them own their own plumbing companies, or they might be a builder and own and earn a lot more money than I would say a lawyer working in a firm. Based on they can work when they want and they have that flexibility. For me, it's more a perception of a marketing issue. Really, how do we market this to these kids? That actually, these case studies, if they actually look into it, if you want to make your wealth, going down that path is far more higher chance of success than the other one, and you're probably going to be a lot more happier too. So not everybody's suited to be an academic. It's it's a different kind of skill. And, and this proliferation of degrees is crazy. I mean, you need degrees to do more and more stuff, like to work in a childcare centre now. You need some sort of degree. I mean, I mean, who would you rather have looking after your children? I've said this before. Somebody who's been a successful mother, raised you know three brilliant kids, 
or somebody who's got a paper qualification never changed a nappy in her life. I mm. mean, really, it's it's people should be judged by what they can do. And that's what we try to do at gyms very, very much. People in gyms, it's it's very metacratic. We just don't care about degrees, qualifications, or anything. But we put a ad in for a basic job in finance, like you know, paying forty five thousand dollars per year. We get like a hundred inquiries, half of them with degrees. Mm. How, how absurd is that? How ridiculous. All these people. There's more people, according to what my son said when he was a law student, there's more people, there's more law students in Australia than there are lawyers. What on earth are they spending all this time getting this useless education for? I agree. I did a law degree and it was pretty, it's pretty useless. I did law commerce and I wish I didn't do it. Well, James is actually one of the exceptions because he's, <laughs> he's, He's, uh, he went to uh, what people would consider a third-rate university, which is Deakin. Um, he's got a job. He got two job offers straight out of, out of law school, mm. and he's now they're trying to make him a partner in the firm two years later. But, but James is, is, is this very special person. He's got incredible people skills. He can make everybody like him, and he's just very good at what he does. Yeah, so no, he wasn't necessarily brilliantly academic, but he's he's got the skills to succeed in life. Well, I think soft skills are becoming way more important in business now. Empathy, for example, is a massive one. Mm. You know, empathy, uh, having EQ, emotional intelligence, digital literacy is massively important now as well. Um, but there's a lot more skills that you just can't learn that you can only learn by actually doing that and being in a work environment. But I want to talk, take it back to what you said before, though. You do you said you hire on character. This is at the very start. Mm. Now, can you break down to people what is character? What is character to you? What is, what's involved under there? Well, character, character comes out of seeing what somebody does more than anything else. It's very hard to judge character just by an interview. Um, and I wouldn't say I was a particularly good interviewer, but if I can see somebody in the business who is, to a large extent, it's somebody who cares about what they do, who puts thought and effort into what they do. Like, you, you're a, a perfect example. Somebody came in with an unskilled minimum wage temporary job got put into insurance as an assistant there, and then when I used to come in and talk, you would always be coming up with ideas. And we should be doing this, or this website doesn't work, or this website's better. You just had this, this interest in what you were doing, which, which made you completely stand out. So, so you know, you're now one of the company's top managers, mm. effectively. Um, and it's the same thing all the way along. In fact, most of the useful things you do are things that I didn't give you to do, it's things you came to me with. So I look for that. Or, and I look at amongst our franchisees and franchisors, look at people who come up with ideas and initiatives, and we try and recruit them in various ways. Yeah, so you're but, saying, saying initiative, is a good, initiative is a good one you look for, which is under that. Let's say the character banner's here. Obviously, initiative you put under there. What other things would you put under there? Well, somebody, somebody simply cares about what they're doing, and it's fairly obvious once somebody's working for you. I'm not very good at picking people to interview, but if I, if I talk to somebody about what they're doing with their job, it becomes incredibly obvious that they are, they have a passion for what they do. They care about it. They have a sense of purpose. Like in gyms, we're very, we're very goal oriented in a sense. We we put our franchisees very high, and we also put customer service very high too, because that's also a way of looking after franchisees. So, if you see somebody who's thinking about better ways to do this, like like our wonderful people like Leah in in compliance and and and. And Chloe and Angie in there too, and and yeah, the documents team. Yeah, they produce a lot of good yeah. stuff. Yeah, and you get someone like uh, Eugene who who comes in at the weekend. We had a power outage. Eugene, <laughs> yeah, he told me and all he that. comes in to fix things, and he's yeah. like that. He'll work all night if we need to. He's just he's just got a passion for it. He's got his real heart in what he does, and and you know basically, the people I look for are people who care about what they do. Not necessarily even the most experienced, but the most 
who've got their heart in it. So I'd say that most of the people who are long-term here would all be very similar in regards to what you just said then. And Eugene's a prime example, obviously, when the, the generator needs to be fired up at whatever time of night, he's always here. If the server goes down, he obviously knows about it and he has to get on 1 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m. on the weekend sometimes. He doesn't think about it. He never complains about it. He never asks for it. He doesn't even ask for a pay rise. I mean, like, I do keep on paying you more because that's a, a result, <laughs> but it's not. he doesn't yeah. ask for it. Um, yeah, he's great. He has a passion for security, and, and that's... That's when it comes from the heart. I, I, I mean, I, it's almost unfair, but, but you look at someone like Archie, for example, who's in divisional support. Yeah. He, you know, he, I would say he, he could be here until, you know, eight, nine o'clock at night. I often make jokes about it. I say, look, I, you know, you, you, you're a bit of slacker. I saw you going home before midnight twice last week. Mm. But he just, he just loves what he does. And he, and he believes in what he does, and he believes in supporting people. And you look at franchisors who care about their franchises genuinely, not just for the point of view of making money, but mainly because he wants to help them to be successful, or she wants to. And that, and that, that coming from the heart, probably like Sharon Connell, too, is a perfect example. She's a great salesman, the best person, salesperson we've ever had in Jim's group, but she cares more for her franchisees than any person I've ever met. She's just got... It's that hard thing, it's that attitude thing that matters more than anything. Yeah, and, you, and, you, and you're very quite, so it's quite interesting for you because when you said character, you say those, you know, those couple of things, which is important. And you, as you said, you, you, you admit yourself you're not a good interviewer. So obviously when you get someone into the company, or, and obviously, there is why I'm bringing this up because in Jim's book, there's a chapter called Serial Fire, mm-hmm. but then you have underneath that a blurb about character. So for you, you're always willing to give people a go, but as soon as you don't identify that they've got the right character that you think will make them a valuable member of the team, you, you quite often... We'll, we'll move on pretty quick and get someone else. At the hopefully. very senior level, I've had a yep. real problems in finding the right kind of people. I think now we're getting close to the stage of having it having it right. But you know, I, I, I'm a terrible interview. I just I just don't know how to pick people. But I, I know I see it. Mm. And the funny thing is, we get people who don't work out here, and they go work for somebody else, and they think, "Why don't you learn from us?" <laughs> that happens quite a bit, yeah. Because they say, "Oh, you work for a national office; that's a big prestigious thing." Well, you know, but why aren't you working there any longer? Yeah, that's a that's a very very valid point. So, what would be some things? What, what would you? Obviously, we talked about it a little bit in brief, but let's say specifically. Obviously, we're making the trades more attractive. Obviously, giving you know people who are running these businesses to employ apprentices, give more incentives to employ people. Um, what about universities? Do you think they get too much of a leg up? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's massive subsidies in universities. You know, I mean, the, and the kind of overheads they have are absolutely horrific. You know, like teaching undergraduate psychology, and I know that because I've got some pretty direct information, they might charge $18,000 a year in fees and give about $3,500 to the department to actually teach the, the rest is all, you know, overheads and vice chancellor salaries and, you know, funding, subsidising research and all kinds of things. So they're... they're they're monumentally inefficient organisations. Mm. They really are. That's why we're starting our own institute. Yeah. As, as a private enterprise, you know, competition. But plus some aspects, I think we can do a far better job, far more cost effectively. Yeah, that's ISN. So anyone who wants to know about Jim's Institute, obviously ISN. Uh, mm. is, it, is it the Institute for Social Neuroscience, what it's called? That's the one, yeah. That's the one. That's where you obviously you do your research as well, uh, which people can find out more. So is there anything else you want to leave us with today, Jim, on this one about the uh, topic of education? Nah, that's right. Don't be, don't be afraid to get your hands dirty and, and try some real jobs. I would actually say that if you want to actually succeed in life, one of the best places to go to is McDonald's. Yeah. Learn about business and about customer service and about discipline. And, and what they do is quite remarkable. I have enormous admiration for McDonald's, not their food, but their <laughs> of 
business is fantastic. They're a great company. Well, one of our, well, one of our last gym guests, which is Dan K, who was a McDonald's manager until the 20, age of 24. Yes. And then he came in, and he's a great franchisee because obviously they used to following his system and protocol and that. And when he became a franchisee, he just followed everything to the T and turned over 300,000 in his first year of business. Yeah. Which for me, that's 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 the best testimonial we can ever have. Through. No, no. No university course is going to give you that kind of training. I would say it's a far better way to go. And actually, if you look at the period of maximum growth in the Western world, which was basically around the 70s in that period, the you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, around there, the people who did that were not on, not on the whole university educated, not at all, because that was before mass university education. And as more and more people are educated, what you find is that our, our economic growth is, is our productivity growth is actually slowing. No, I don't think that one's the cause of the other, but the education itself is just some magic panacea which really just doesn't work. Practical learning of life. And I think people, many people, would be far better off just going out and starting a business, getting a job in some place like McDonald's, just learning how the world works, how people work, how to be a manager. Mm. And, and the other thing too is that, is that there's far too much emphasis on intelligence these days, on brains. Um, there is one thing that intelligence IQ is very good predictor of, and that's your actual academic results. If you're good, if you've got a high IQ, you're more likely to do well in school and in university. But it's got remarkably little to do with success in life. The, the best estimate is that you can judge, it's about 4% of your success in life can be judged on your IQ. And past about an IQ of 120, which is a huge chunk of population, it makes no difference whatsoever. In fact, the most successful people are notoriously not the smartest. Mm. That's very interesting, Jimmy. We'll probably leave that there. It's a great little bit of chunk of information. So make sure you subscribe to the Jim's Cast on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Obviously, it's a video on YouTube as well, so subscribe there. If you have any topics or questions like Andre Barber did, thank you for that question, um, please email them to socialmedia at jims.net or you can comment on the, on the video and we'll put them to Jim as well. So thank you for that one, Jim, and thanks for your time.